particular. Lord, we, uh, we just welcome your presence in this place. And Father, if it is your desire to speak through the body, we just take a moment to wait and to hear, to listen, to sense if you have a picture, a word, a scripture. taste and see the goodness of the Lord. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. that we need to take refuge in the Lord. It's a very true reality. And you know, that's what we're doing here today. I mean, coming to church and praying and reading scripture, 
doing any of it is all part of taking refuge in the Lord. And uh, sometimes it may not feel like we're in refuge. Sometimes it might feel we're quite open to all of the adversities of life. But yet, little by little, it keeps you in. It keeps you in the battle. It keeps you in the walk. It keeps you in the purpose. Um, and we do have to take refuge in the Lord, absolutely. It's not, it's not a lot else that's going to give an answer to some of the stuff that's in the world and some of the stuff that we face. thoughts on that before we continue? Taking refuge in the Lord? Does it mean anything to anyone? Come on up, Mary. Come and speak to the microphone. Something that's been coming to me is, uh, and I've been trying to do over the weeks is to always keep my eyes on Jesus. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Mm. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and by keeping your eyes on Jesus, we are keeping our eyes on what Jesus said. On his word. On, on yeah, and what he said. Uh, so important. Yeah. Jerry, you want to come to the mic? I got to put a mic down the back so you all don't have to <laughs> make the trek. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the privilege. Mm. Mm. Thank you for protecting the right. We thank this morning in my heart, Lord, as you say, I'm the Lord your God. Fear not. I'm building my church. I'm going before you. I'm the Lord. I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. Mm. Do not look to the left or the right. I'm leading you. That was previously said here just when we speak. The Lord will lead you. The Lord will bring you. Keep your eyes on him all at all times. Mm. We cannot afford any longer to be cavalier with the word of God and with our, our duty to one another. We have to love one another as Christ loved the church. He said, I am building my church gates of hell are not he's not going to prevail against it and he said this is what he's doing now he is purging his bride he is preparing his bride for the bride chamber even while he's preparing the bride chamber he's preparing the bride of the holy spirit for the bride chamber we have to listen diligently and attend to his word because you will not find my word out in the general public you will find it in between the pages of my Bible. There are many words in this world, but you can discern. You have the spirit. You can discern the word of the living God. All you do is read it. Apply yourself to it and read it and let the Lord, let him lead you and pray before you read it. And he'll be diligent. And when you hollow out to him in your distress and your trouble in the dark hours of the night, when the powers of principalities in the air are attacking you, how 
however the attack is, he is there. And open the word and it will resolve. Thank you, Lord. Mm. The whole idea of, thank you, Jerry, the whole idea of following um, Case of the Word and see, you know, that whole idea of uh, listening to God and knowing God and looking to Jesus and what he said is all about following. Really, fundamentally, the thing that we're called to do most of all is just simply follow. And following Christ and following our faith sometimes is not the most clear thing in the world. But you just take what you read, like Jerry's talking about, and you, you desire and try as best you can to, to find Christ during your week and to hear him and to see him and to understand. And then you just put your best foot forward and try to follow. And that's as profound as it gets. Um, I don't think many of us are hearing audible voices from the sky saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. You have to go in and get into the word of God and you have to kind of sit there with it and kind of wonder what it's saying and what it's not saying. And then you have to try to hear what your spirit is saying. And, and, and then you just put it all together in a great clumsy clump and you go forward. Um, sometimes miraculously and sometimes <laughs> it's not very pretty. But that is following Christ. Um, and I was thinking about it downstairs. I was just saying, I'm just going to follow as best I can and do the best you can and, and uh, trust that God is going to lead in the ways that we can't see, feel, hear, understand. So, you know, that's what you, you need to do. I was just sitting there and said, uh, the thought that came to me was sometimes, and, and again, we're rumbling and stumbling and bumbling and tumbling through our day. Sometimes you fall into victory. Yes, yeah, sometimes you do. You really just tumble right into glory. Wonder, and, and who, whenever that happens, whenever you turn around and you see life has come miraculously together in a wonderful way, you kind of go, how did this happen? <laughs> right? And how do we write this down and get it down so we can make it happen every time, you know? Um, it's all a gift. Uh, it's all a gift. And uh, we're just thankful that we have access to this gift. That in whatever state of completion, incompletion, knowledge, unknown, all the rest of it that we are here in today, we have the beautiful privilege of understanding that there's a God that knows everything, is in control of everything, is in some way, shape, or form guiding us, and that in the end, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I heard it said this morning when we're praying downstairs, the, the word beloved, we are the beloved of the Lord. And it's something I want to expound on a little bit today. It's really a wonderful piece of scripture. The, the title of what I want to talk about today is You Are Mine. And uh, that reality, that whether we know it or not, feel it or not, understand it or not, um, that we are God's children and property. Um, and I know sometimes we can go, yeah, 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 yeah. Not this again, right? But when you're in the middle of a difficulty, it's really important to know this. Isaiah 43, 2 to 3. I'm looking at some of the scriptures that have really spoken to me over, the, over this year and as I walk this journey that I'm going through. 
It says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Notice that it does not say uh, if. It says when. And verse 1, previous to this, gives some really important information that needs to be looked at and accepted and believed before we can ever jump into this verse. And Isaiah 43, 1 says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Jacob is another, just another way that scripture refers to uh, God's family of Israel, Judah, the whole thing. But you, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, do not be afraid. The most common call in scripture, the most common thing that is said, you guys know it and we'll repeat it again because we need to hear it again in these days, is do not be afraid. All through scripture. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You as an individual believer have been called, chosen by name. Just the same way Israel was. And God said about Israel in Exodus 19, 4 to 6, it says, now this is God talking about Israel. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And we say, well, that's an incredible thing that God would say that to Israel and calling them the way he did. But Revelation 5.10, this is, and the, the thing I'm trying to do here is to show that the same devotion and the same incredible way that God called Israel, he refers to you and I in the same way. Revelation 5.10, and you have caused them to become what? A kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Just like Israel you have been chosen. Just as much as Israel was chosen from all the nations of the earth, you and I have been chosen. We cannot, I know there's a lot of conflict around that reality between, you know, was it by the willingness of us agreeing or was it God, by God sovereignly choosing us that we would come to salvation? It's an unanswerable thing. Depends on where you want to land in your logic. But just like Israel, we have been chosen. And here's what it looks like for Israel to be chosen. But instead of hearing Israel, think of yourself. For you are a holy people. You belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. And we can read that back there and just go, oh, well, he's talking about Israel and it's all that. And no, he's talking about you as much as he's talking about Israel. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other nation, than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. God is so counterintuitive. He doesn't go for the strongest. He goes for the weakest. He doesn't go for the smartest. He goes for those that are struggling to understand the basic things. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to our ancestors, your ancestors. 
That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose you because he loved you. You're here today because God chose you just as much as he chose Israel. And look at, look at here we are, Israel, over 3,000 years later, the only nation in the history of the world that has been resurrected after 2,000 years of oblivion, resurrected with their, their initial language intact and a nation again. Now, if that doesn't encourage you about the ability for God to sustain when he makes a promise, I mean, we can look at our situation sometimes and we can go, how are we ever going to get through this? And God's, how's God ever going to get me out of this? And how's God ever going to get me through this? I don't know about where you guys have been lately, but I've been in that place a lot over the last year. But when we look at Israel, we can look at some living, tangible proof that regardless of the odds against you, God said, I love you, and therefore, I'm going to rescue you. And he showed it through Israel, and he'll do it through you. And whenever you're starting to doubt that, just look at Israel, because here they are all those years later. And he said, the only, and God said, the only reason I did is because I love them. It's not because Israel was a great nation. They blew it, tragically, over and over again. But yet God kept them because he made a promise that he would. And he made a promise to you and I. He rescues us and he will rescue you just like he rescued Israel, just because he loves us. And, and scripture tells us that we have been grafted into the promises of Israel, everything that God promised Israel. But remember, he also promised that he would form them. The forming process was not just in calling them out of, you know, Mesopotamia when he did, when he called Abraham. That wasn't just the only forming that went on. The forming process for you and I is still going on, and the forming process is still going on for Israel, that God will put us through circumstances the, and part of the promises, he's, he said, he will form us. And what's he going to form us into? Well, the scripture in, in the New Testament tells us, form us into the image of Christ. And that's an ongoing promise that God's going to do that. And he does it in very interesting ways, as you know. And some of them are not very easy. But he is in the process of forming us into something. And also, we have been grafted into the promises or the purpose of Israel. Israel had a purpose on the earth. And that purpose was simply that through Israel, God was going to display to the whole world what he was like and what people needed to do and how people needed to live in order to be in unity and in the blessing of God Almighty who created the whole earth. That is the sole purpose of Israel. And of course, we know that they didn't do a very good job of that. And Jesus came just at the right time to let them know that, guys, you are not doing a great job of that. And Jesus showed us with perfection exactly what God is like and how we should behave and what our actions should be. And the way that we do it is through living a different way than the world around us. Micai 6.8 says, Now, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And that is what he requires of you. Very simple. To do what is right, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is what the Old Testament was telling Israel to do. That's all he was asking. Basically, be fair and just, love God, be merciful, all these things. That is so hard. You know, yesterday, and, and just jump ahead, and here's what Jesus said in the New Testament, Mark 12, 30 to 31. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Very simple, isn't it? Sounds very simple on paper. Right? It's really simple on paper. Yesterday I was at a beach, and I just, th there was a person there with, uh, a woman was there with her son, two sons. One of them was about three years old, three and a half maybe. And the lake kind of descended rather quickly. And him and his five-year-old brother were in the water. And I noticed it a couple of times that this three-year-old would go in almost over and his, his five-year-old brother would lift him up and bring him back while the mother's sitting on, sitting on the thing talking to somebody. And so the lifeguard doing his duty went over and just started to say, your, how old is your son? And she lit into him, like she lit into him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the finger was going and the, the attitude was going. And I went, oh my heavens, like we're such a nasty people. Like they'd say, oh, well, not everyone. Go on social media. Man, oh man, we are a nasty people. Yeah, especially with anonymity. Um, and, and, we, and I say that to say, well, well, it's so easy. It's just saying, you know, be merciful and do what's right and, you know, walk humbly with our God. Yeah, you go and try and do that. Go and try and do that. I was watching the kids playing in front of us. And this 16-month-old uh, baby child was walking around and saw another four-year-old boy's toy. And he had a whole bunch of toys, but he had a dinky little car. Well, the 16-month-old went and tried to get that car. The four-year-old was having none of that. <laughs> and it took the mother to come in and say, no, it's okay to share. It's, 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 it's in us at even that young age. And it was the 16-year-old or 16-month-year-old who went over and said, I don't frankly care about you wanting to use your bucket. I'm taking your bucket and, and made off with the bucket. Again, no sense that you can't just take something that somebody else's. And at the meantime, the other person that was with us or the person, 12-year-old that was with us was digging a moat around this castle that they had built. And the four-year-old wanted to come over and put water in the moat. At which point the 12 year old put on this face and got angry. Oops. And just came up and stood behind us and just all mad. And I said to their father, I said, and we're trying to teach the three year old to do what she's doing, like not to do what she's doing. I said, we have to teach her to do it too. It's crazy. The sinful nature, that nature in us. And you, you want to go to her and say, it's a four-year-old little boy who wants to put water in your moat. 
why can't you have mercy for that? Why can't you have grace for that? Why can't you have, you know, but no. And we chuckle and laugh, but I guarantee you, we do the same thing. We do exactly the same thing. When someone pushes in line in front of us at the grocery store, you ever have that one? Anyone gets in front of you in traffic? <laughs> Don't put your water in my mouth. This is my place, and this is where never understanding that that person who's in front of you in traffic might be in an emergency trying to get someplace or might be just having a bad day. We don't, that's called mercy, and we don't go there very often. We go to judgment. We go to anger. So, and, and it comes down to forgiveness, right? And there's the tough one. Trust me, it's, it's hard getting someone to forgive you. And, and it, what's amazing is the things that we will get mad about. And we will hold a grudge a long time because that sinful nature is in us. You were divinely created, formed, and called, therefore equipped to do what you need to do for God. If God created you, you are very, very important in the scheme of what God is doing. I don't know how many Christians I've talked to over the years who have felt that they have no purpose and they have no effect in what God is doing. They have to have some ginormous ministry before they feel that they're doing anything for God. And that is a as a result of the massive emphasis we put on big ministries in the West. And the bigger the church and the bigger your ministry and the bigger your book collection and the bigger whatever it is, um, you know, it's wrong. And we have to understand that we are important in the scheme of things, the proof, the schemes of what God is doing. The proof of that is nature. God created nature. I know that for the last, you know, 100 years, there's been a real effort to try to tell us and teach us that nature created itself, that it oozed up out of the mud somewhere and created the most complex, interconnected marvel that the human brain can ever imagine. But when you look at the nature that God created, one of the most profound things about it is that everything in it is interdependent. There is not one thing that is created that does not in some way, shape, or form serve something else and depend on something else. Everything is interconnected. It's exquisitely put together. Of course, we're coming into the middle of it and throwing it all to pieces and causing such havoc. But you may not even know the part that you're playing. You may not even know it. And that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You may not know the exquisite part that you are in the fine design that God has in putting the body of Christ together so that we can do the work of the church on the earth until Jesus comes back to get us, please, soon. The bee, the bumblebee, does not understand that when they're going from flower to flower, that they are pollinating. Now, how many know what pollinating means? You understand what the bee is doing. It is taking pollen from the male part of this plant, and it gets on them. As they're getting the nectar, it gets on them. They fly, minding their own business, to the next flower, and little do they know that that flower is a female version of that flower. 
and that male pollen goes off onto that female, and all of a sudden you have flowers. We have interrupted the bee situation because we're killing them all due to whatever crazy thing that we're trying to do in agriculture. But what they'll do is they'll, companies will take great truckloads, tractor truckloads of bees, and you can hire them and they go to a farmer's field, these massive fields in the United States, and they'll release the bees from the hives and they'll go and pollinate and come back because the natural bees are not there. It's the only way apples will grow. We have three apple trees in our backyard. You need to have one pollinated. You have to cross-pollinate for them to grow. The lion does not understand that when he's killing that gazelle, that he is in some way or she is in some way moderating the population so that the grasslands don't get overgrown or get trampled. It's a natural balance. The bats don't know when they fly out at night eating insects that they are balancing the insect. And we say, well, that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah? Well, how many have noticed that there's way more insects because the bat population is gone. It's the white, what is the white nose thing that have killed like 80, yeah, 80% 80 of the bats. So the mosquito population has gone crazy. God created everything to be beautifully in balance. None of them knew that they were helping out in that nature balance. They just did what they were meant to do. They just did what came naturally to them. And that's all God's asking you to do. Do what comes naturally to you. If, if you feel naturally to go and drive some people to the hospital and take some people here and just help out here and there, guess what? You are pollinating the kingdom of God. You are multiplying the kingdom of God. And it, how crazy it is for us to sit and look at that and go, well, that's nothing. You know, I haven't sold any books. I'm not doing some big ministry. I'm not on TV. But yet it is through the things that we may very rarely even know. But in so doing, we are fulfilling our purpose. It does not have to be profound, and you do not have to know it. It's just who you are. God made you unique. One person likes to bake a cake for somebody else. Somebody else wants to just make a phone call. Somebody else wants to help pay a bill. Somebody else wants to go over and talk and see how you're doing today. You, it's just what you naturally in yourself want to do. The problem comes when you start trying to imitate other people. That's when you mess up. That's when you think you need to go over and prophesy over somebody all the time. Because that's what you think is serving God. And what ends up is you're prophesying gibberish. You're making it up in your mind. Because somewhere you have got in your craw that standing up and saying something for God is what being important for God is. And I have seen it over and over and over again in my 41 years with Christ. People standing up and saying stuff. It is no more of God than that is. But that's what they feel, that's what they feel is being important to God. And when you start getting in the way, when the bees start getting in the way of the lions and the bats, it all gets messed up. God is calling you to do what you do. And the little you do is the significant thing that he wants you to do. And if he wants you to all of a sudden start a great ministry, then go ahead and do that if that's what God wants. But to be honest, I think the days of great ministries are over. I think God is going back to the trenches. I think it's, bad, it's, it's 
one-on-one battle now. I really do. No more lobbing these great multi-million dollar ministries into countries and kaboom and, you know, Jesus breaks out. I think it is coming back to you talking to somebody who trusts you and saying, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what I believe. And they're standing there looking at you and going, well, I know them. I know their character. I don't know Joel Osteen. I don't know this guy. And he's got big teeth. I don't know this guy, right? Um, But, you know, I'm just saying that jokingly, but they don't know him. So I really, and plus, we are coming into a time in our culture, I'm rabbit trailing here, but we're going into our, a time in our culture, and it's not just in the church, where people do not trust institutions. They don't trust institutions. They don't trust the government. They don't trust anything. And the outfall of that, the outfall of that, um, my wife yesterday was downtown, and she was at, waiting for something, and there was an anti vaccination anti-mask rally downtown and um, and all I'll say about that is that she said and they were all Christians and I said well how do you know that she said because they were standing at the microphone and saying hug Jesus and hug each other do you have any idea how stupid that looks but the, what's it born out of? It's born out of antitrust. I don't trust anyone anymore. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the doctors. I trust what I trust. And even that is a little bit tricky sometimes because we're trusting information from the internet. Well, you don't know that doctor. You don't know that psychiatrist. You don't know that politician. You don't know what their, what their motive is. You don't know the research that they're referring to. But what do we do? But it's born out of a situation of no trust. We've become a very untrusting people. And you know where that will end up? Right at the feet of Jesus, and we won't trust him either. That's where that ends up. So we need to, at some point, galvanize who we are and what we are, because I'm telling you, the time is coming, and it is not far off. We are in it right now. We are in a post-Christian world. And we are going to have to decide rock solid who it is we are going to trust. And when it comes down to people, I want to know them. And I want to know what their past is. I want to know what their credential is. I want to know a lot about them before I'm going to start putting my trust in them. But the beautiful thing is that for you and I, back to the point of trench warfare, we are in a time where people, the only way you're going to get people into the kingdom, you're going to have to take prisoners one by one, in the good sense of that, right? You're going to have to go spend time with people, let them know you, let them speak with you, let them understand you, because we are in a time where people trust no one. And it's causing fear, and it's causing really, really uh, adverse behavior didn't mean to get into all that <laughs> but anyway Isaiah 43 1 again but now O Jacob listen to the Lord who created you O Israel the one who formed you says do not be afraid for I have ransomed you I've called you by name you 
our mind. We need to be firm in our belief that this is true because if we don't believe that, if we really don't believe that, we will never get through verses 2 and 3. We'll never get through them, which says, verse uh, Isaiah 43, 2 to 3, say it again. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. So we need to expect deep waters. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And why would the prophet say this? Because we would feel like we are drowning. When you walk through the fire of oppression, oh, let me tell you, I can tell you some nights about fires of oppression. Let me tell you. You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For And it, it's beautiful what the prophet says here, what God says through the prophet. And you kind of go, well, well, how do we know that? How do I know that you're not going to let me drown? How do I know that? 43.3, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and I've said it. See, this is a, this is an, a language that Israel understood because they wouldn't even say the Lord's name. They reverenced him, and they, they knew that he was God Almighty, even though they turned their backs on him. But the fact is, God is saying, listen, this is me saying this. This is not the prophet. This is me saying this. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Not their Savior, your individual, right? God will be with us. So what are the benefits? What are the, so God's with us. Great. God's with us. You're in the cancer ward. You just got in an accident. Um, you just lost your job. You're suffering through a terrible situation, struggle and difficulty in your family. What is the advantage of God being with us? Trust me, I've asked the question 345,000 times. Because sometimes... I think when we read that, we think that there's supposed to be some kind of glorious halo that comes around our head and body, and we just float out of our situation and say, God is with me. I wish that would happen. I wish it would happen every time. I have had it happen two or three times over the last year of my life, where a presence would come upon me, and I would have faith that could move a mountain. And I would have the divine absolute presence of God on me. And then it would lift and disappear. But one of the things we can get from knowing that God is with us is we can get reassurance. This is what God said to Joshua. This is my command in Joshua 1.9. And we really should be reading Joshua at this point. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Now, why is God saying that to Joshua? Because he was going to need to be what? Strong and courageous. And courage is not the absence of fear. It is facing it regardless of fear. That is courage. So that's what God's saying. You're going to need courage. You're not going to just cakewalk through this. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why not be discouraged? Why would God say discouraged? Because he knows the way you're formed. He knows the way I'm formed. And he knows that we're going to have times of discouragement. He's not 
cursing us for it. He's just saying, beware of it. It's going to come upon you. It's going to be with you. I'm telling you ahead of time. But don't let it own you. You're mine. You don't belong to discouragement. You belong to me. So, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Just coming down and saying, you know what? Wherever you go, Monique, I'm going to be with you. And you go do whatever you want because you know what? I'm with you. And we're going to get through this and we're going to go. Well, if you look at Hebrews 13.5, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. The same thing he said to Israel is the same thing he's saying to us today. And that same promise he made to Joshua is as true today as it was when he said it to Joshua because Israel is here to prove it. He said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to leave you in your sin, in your brokenness, in your weakness, in your disobedience, in your vilety. It does not matter what you do, what wrong you make, what mistake you make, what stupid thing you do, what disobedience you do. I am going to be with you. Why? Because I love you. And I've made a promise that I'm going to be with you. Now I'm going to work on those things. I'm going to work on them. And I'm going to let you know what needs to be corrected. And I'm going to let you know because I'm a good parent. And I love you and I want to form you. I said that I formed you and I'm not finished forming you yet. And I'm not finished until the day you're with me where it says we will be like him. Until then, we're still in formation. Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus saying that. Why again would he have to say that? Why would his parting words... B, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. Because darn well they knew that there was going to be some times where you're going to say, God, where are you? Where the heck are you? Well, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Also, we are given encouragement. And the definition of encouragement is the act of giving someone hope and support. Beautiful definition. Romans 8, 28, 34. And we'll end with this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And let me say something about that. Because I know some people can get into real condemnation because do I really love God? And do I love him enough? And what does loving God, is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? You getting up out of your bed this morning in whatever state you found yourself and said, I am going to church. And I know for some of you, it was a very difficult thing. And some Sundays, it's very difficult for you to come due to whatever it is you're dealing with, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, psychological. But when you do that, you are making a statement. And you are saying, I'm going because it's important. Because it's something I should be doing. It's something that is important spiritually. It's something important. And I'm going. Do you think God doesn't see that? You think he doesn't go to Jing? That's what loving God is. Love is an action. And thankfully, sometimes it comes with feelings. But most often, it is an action. So love God and are called according. And that's also doing good to others and all that stuff we talked about. And are called according to his purpose for them. Because God has a purpose for you. Just like he did for Israel. You, an individual purpose. 
For God knew his people in advance. Here we get into this wonderful piece of scripture, and I'm, just, I'm not going to expound on this a lot, but this is powerful stuff. This is the greatest piece of theological writing in all of the Bible, Romans 8. The Apostle Paul just left his body for a whole chapter and just went into this space of truth that theologians are still trying to understand. But he just, it's like he just took the restraints off and just said, folks, here it is. For God knew his people in advance. He knew you in advance. And he chose them to become like his son. He chose you. He chose me. I didn't choose him. I was at Billy Graham, you know, dressed like Liberace. And I said, I had no intentions of going and following Jesus. Um, but something spoke to me on the second night that went, what you're doing is wrong and what he's saying is right. And something just twisted in me. And I went, okay, I'm in. I don't know what in means. Here's what in means. I'm here. <laughs> right? I'm here. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Whole thing right there. Brothers and sisters. And have chosen them. There it is again. Chosen them. He called them to come to him. You have been called. You, weren't, you didn't just make this up yourself. You didn't just sometimes decide to follow Jesus. This has got nothing to do with you. This has got to do with the divine election of God. For some reason, God looked down at you, Marie, and said, I'll take her. Now, I don't know about people outside the faith. That's not my business. I'm only going with what God tells us. I don't know how all that works. But I know at Billy Graham, God looked down. Uh, God looked down, and for some reason, he chose me. And, I, and for some reason, I said, yes. And you said yes when you got up out of bed this morning and said, I'm going to church. It is the same act. You are coming to God. It's the same thing when you say, yes, I'm going to take that cake to somebody who's sick. It's saying yes to God. It's all salvation. We are working out our salvation. Every time we say yes to something, God is saying you are working out that salvation. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. We could stop there. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And now this is where Paul really gets crazy because he is going way into the future. Because remember, Jesus came and spoke to him. So he saw the finished product. He saw, Jesus told him what this was all about. And what else did Jesus tell Paul? What he must suffer. I'm going to pull that in every time I can. But Paul saw the end. And he saw that we are going to be actually glorified just like Jesus is glorified. And he just kind of spit it out. A lot of people are really trying to figure out, is that glory now? And every once in a while we get it though, don't we? Every once in a while we get a little, oh. Get a little, oh man. I've had it where I couldn't walk. And I had to be carried to a hotel. Laid on a floor and shake for three hours. And, you know, every once in a while you get a little glory. And you go, wow. But remember, you can't have all the glory, even though we're trying. See, this is one of the great problems 
uh, in, in, in theology, in Christianity, especially really uh, aggressive evangelical charismatic Christianity, is that we expect all of the glory now. We want all the healing now. We want all the victory now. We want all the resurrection right now. And I don't know how to break the news to you, but it's just not going to happen. And you can believe that everybody is supposed to be healed all you want. It's just not scriptural. What is scriptural is that God will be with you in it. Now, you may personally have had an experience in your life where that scripture of health and the ability to pray and believe for health has been very effective. You know why? Because that's one little example of some of the salvational blessing we get from Christ. But it's not for any everyone the same way if someone else has a gift of prophesying that everyone's supposed to be prophesying. No, we're just bit by bit, we are showing the full body of Christ. We would just have to cut huge pieces out of the Bible to say that we're supposed to be healed and everyone's supposed to be healthy and everyone is supposed to not have problems. It's just not true and it's cruel. It's cruel on people who are suffering. Now, if we can go to someone and encourage their faith and help them, lift them up, maybe they do have some perspectives and maybe they do have some things in their past. Maybe they do have some stuff in their present that needs to be addressed, then praise God and we'll help them come into greater levels of sanctification, but not through condemnation. It won't work that way. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And here's what he answers his own question. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? It's not going to take you out. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him for all of us, for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So beautiful. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Incredible, through Christ Jesus, we, we know. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Pleading for us. That's what's happening right now. Your situation, my situation, everyone's situation. Jesus is interceding. He is interceding for us all. For your physical struggles, for your mental struggles, for your spiritual struggles, for your family struggles, for your financial struggles, your struggles of age. And there's some real struggles with age. And he's interceding for all of them. And who knows? God might heal you completely. He might change your financial circumstances. But what he's saying is that I am with you in it, and I am going to give you what you need to get through that. And it's going to be wonderful. So when God says, you are mine, and that I am with you, that means something. You can take that to the bank, and it is not based in feelings. It is not based in feelings. It's based in the fundamental word of God. That's where it begins and ends. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you allow us to understand this. It's a mystery, Father. It is really a mystery in a lot of ways. 
and many of us are experiencing things that defy everything that was just spoken. But Lord, we trust your word this morning. We ask you to help us to understand it, help us to embrace it, help us to be able to trust it when we're needing it the most in the middle of the night or the middle of the day. But Father, we trust that we are yours and that you are with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Now we have to go and walk this, right? I was really thinking whether I was saying, oh, do I want to preach this? Do I want to talk about this? Because it, it does require of us to really take a stand, right? Um, and, you know, just one final thing about the healing thing. Um, I will say this about healing. I do believe we should have more healing than we do in the body. I really do. Um, I, even though I would say that it's, it is unscriptural to expect everyone to be healed, but it is scriptural to expect some to be healed. And it is scriptural to expect some to be delivered. And people who have had that wonderful experience of having real breakthrough through their life by trusting and believing, guess what you're supposed to do? Pray for people. Because <laughs> it's a gift of faith that you have. Um, so I will say with concession that we should have more healing in the body. We should have more deliverance in the body. We should have more freedoms than we do. And, and that is because we're in a war, and I won't go on about this, but sometimes, uh, you know, we're losing some battles. We'll win the war, but we're losing some battles in the area of faith healing, in the area of deliverance, and the area of freedom, just bringing the freedom. We're, we're losing some battles that we shouldn't be losing. Um, and we need the Holy Spirit to show us how to rise up into that because it is part of the, the resurrection. You know, it is part of it that there would be divine healing and deliverance and all those things. So we really need to be asking God, what, are we, what do you want us to know here? What do you want us to understand here so that we can better bring relief to people who are suffering? So I would say that the body of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ should be a place that has profound healing and also a profound peace in the midst of struggle. We should have it's either one of those, you know. Yeah, preferably both of them going in the body at once. But that's a profound thing that God has to do. Uh, let's take up an offering. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give back to you. It's yours, Dad. You've given it to us. And we give it back in the abundance that you've given it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.